It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest And a very good Monday morning to you, by the way, this mild weather that we've been experiencing of uh, late with the temperatures in double digits. Today seems to be the last day of it. They're going back to kind of single uh, digits from uh, tomorrow. So the last day of that mild, mild weather. Now, John Paul is off. Uh, for his ticket. He's starting his Christmas holidays early. So Bernie's in uh, this week taking your calls. So if there's anything you want to share, Bernie will take your calls at 0818-103-103. Texts and WhatsApps available to you as well to 086. 086- 6210303 and of course don't forget you can email the programme at any time 24-7 Cork today at c103.ie and I'm interested in your thoughts on the fire in the former hotel that happened at the weekend reading today that the Gardaí believe the fire that destroyed much of the disused uh, hotel which of course we know had been earmarked for asylum seekers they're now saying the early indications are that it was set deliberately because when I heard about this fire at the weekend my initial reaction was please, please, please let this be some electrical fault. I just thought I don't let this be happening uh, again but seemingly no, the Gardaí uh, are saying that it does look like it was set deliberately. One line of investigation obviously is that the blaze was started to ensure that the hotel could not be used as a centre for asylum uh, seekers. The asylum seekers were due to move in there next uh, Thursday. Guard the sources are stressing though the investigation into the na- late night blaze in County Gold was still at the very early stage. They added it will take some time to confirm where in the building and precisely how the fire was uh, started. The incident was at the Ross Lake House and it's the latest fire which affected facilities about to be used for accommodation either for international protection applicants or about to be used for Ukrainians fleeing Russians invasion of their country. Now you possibly saw video footage of it. There was a lot of video footage on social media. Video footage was shared on all of the main news on TV uh, as well and it emerged in the early hours of yesterday. But what then happened was the images of the fire were shared heavily across social media 
media, but in particular across accounts linked to to previous far-right rhetoric and uh, events. And I even saw uh, far-right groups in England were sharing it and they were fulsome in their praise of whoever had started the fire. And you just thought, oh God, how low have we uh, gone that we've got these far-right groups in England patting us on the back saying the Irish know what to do. A local protest, of course, had started at this disused hotel in Roscal. Now, it's a very remote area of Galway. It's between Moycullen and Uchtharod, for anybody who knows that area of uh, Galway. And in recent days, this protest had started. There was a pre fabricated a cabin was placed across the entrance and uh, there was a group of people who were maintaining a presence uh, outside and they were keeping warm by lighting fires and steel drums but it was well away from the uh, hotel. The blockade was aimed obviously at frustrating the preparation for the hotel to get the place ready for the 70 asylum seekers and I'm assuming the blockade was also aimed at stopping the asylum seekers moving in uh, next uh, Thursday. The protest at the time said they would stay there for as long as was required but it was about half past 11 on Saturday night that the alarm was raised when the blaze was spotted at the property but the fire at that stage had already caused extensive damage to the building by the time the Gardaí got the call and by, time, by the time the firefighters arrived to put the blaze out. Now the Ross Lake House Hotel, it had been purchased by an Americans and their plan had been to renovate it and restore the building and they were going to use it as their own family home. That was about uh, a year or so uh, ago but it's not clear if they still own the property or not because an agreement had been reached with somebody who seemed to be subletting it or they had rented it out to somebody and it was that new group that were had they had rented the property to. They were going had decided to enter into a contract with the government to accommodate international protection applicants. Now last Friday the Department of Integration confirmed it was a one year uh, agreement had been entered into and that 70 international protection applicants were going to be moving in there next Thursday and of course This fire is not the first incidence of arson. Last month we had heavy plant machinery was destroyed. That was in an arson attack in County Wexford. That's an ongoing dispute. Locals are against the the old Great Southern Hotel. Lots of people would know the Great Southern Hotel in uh, Rosslare. Local people are against that being, being used for asylum seekers. So there was plant machine that was used in getting the old hotel ready. That was destroyed by fire. Then last month during the riots that went on in Dublin, a petrol bomb was thrown through the front of premises in Finglas. That was earmarked for refugees. It was the second time this year that that particular centre had been targeted by an arson attack. And on the same night as the riots, the front windows of Dublin City dorms and Parnell Street were also smashed in by rioters. And then in August, Ridge Hall, which is a property in Ballybrack in South Dublin, that was set on fire after it was rumoured in the area that it was going to be used to accommodate asylum seekers. In July, there was another arson attack here in Cork at the fa- at the former Gwail Skull Iria, the school. Plans were underway to house Ukrainians um, seeking refuge 
refuge from the war there. Uh, earlier in the year in May, a centre for refugees in Boncran in County Donegal was targeted by arson. In the same month, a makeshift camp on Sandwich Street in Dublin, south inner city, was destroyed. And that's when those tents were set on fire. There was a so- small number of people living in those tents. Now, luckily, they were at, they'd fled. They were out of the tents before they were set on fire. And then at the start of this year in January, a fire was set at Ralton House. That's a former boys school on Sherrod Street in Dublin, right in the inner city. That also was rumoured that refugees were going to be housed there. And then go back to last year, November of 2022, Kill Equestrian Centre out just outside Kill in County Kildare. That was set alight. That was earmarked for about 350 people from the Ukraine. And then in 2019, the Shannon Key West Hotel in Ruski on the Leitrim Roscommon border that was targeted twice by uh, arsons in a matter of weeks, and it was due to open to accommodate about 80 people. So the list of uh, buildings that are set on fire continues and the latest now this one in County uh, Galway and one local Fianna Fáil uh, councillor, a guy by the name of Noel Thomas, was making the point that everyone in the area is very upset. Now they are shocked about the fire but he's pointing the finger of blame at the government. And remember he is a member of the Fianna Fáil party. He says a lot of the blame needs to be laid in the lap of the government. As long as they deal with it, immigration, the way they are dealing with it there will be more of this. There was widespread shock and anger locally in Roscahill on Friday last when news filtered out. That was when the local people uh, discovered that there was going to be 70 asylum seekers arriving in this former uh, hotel. Uh, the Tisha condemned the rise of anti-immigration unrest and said the people who carried out these crimes, he says, are a very small minority. He said he's deeply concerned about recent reports of suspected criminal damage and a number of properties around uh, the country which had been earmarked for those seeking international uh, protection, including what happened at the weekend in County Galway. I mean, I was just... It left me really sad, I have to say, when I saw the images of this hotel on fire. And by all accounts, it's a a really iconic hotel, an iconic building in the area. But it just like... Where do we go next? Are people going to start setting fire to asylum centres where refugees are already staying? I mean, is is that the next step? And we've been lucky so far that nobody is injured in any of these in these fires. And it just struck me. Are we now saying that people would rather see this iconic building burnt down rather than allow refugees uh, to stay here? I mean, what has happened to uh, our country? We really, really are so much uh, better than this. Uh, your thoughts welcomed 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 Some of your thoughts about that fire at the former Ross Lake House Hotel in Ross Cahill in Uchtarod in uh, County uh, Galway. Anne says, good morning Patricia, it's totally wrong that these asylum seekers are brought into villages and locals have no say in it. We have to stop allowing them into our towns and villages. Uh, while Tom uh, says, would be great if, I'm not going to use that word Tom, but whoever started that fire was caught, that person or person 
persons should be named and shamed. John says on the fire in Galway, there's no consultation with the people. The government are ignoring the people. They keep asylum seekers pouring into the country. He's worried this country is now on a knife edge and he's fearful that the riot we saw in Dublin last month, that that could spread right throughout the country and none of us want to witness those scenes again. Jerry in Middleton says the government need, uh, he, he reckons the government do need to take the blame for this, which is what one local uh, Fianna Fáil councillor in Galway is putting it firmly at the door of the uh, government and uh, Jerry in Middleton uh, agrees he says 70 males to be put into a hotel in a very rural uh, area uh, they were not vetted if the government do not stop taking in so many refugees this will happen again why can't we look after our own homeless he says there's a protest tonight about the Abbeville that we spoke about the Abbeville B&B former B&B in Formoy that's due to take uh, 50 refugees with uh, six to a, to a room. Yeah, I think there's a kind of an open debate going on so that people on both sides, people who are welcoming of uh, asylum seekers and those that are opposed to it. I, I did see that on social media uh, over the weekend. And uh, Maura uh, says, Patricia, I'm, I'm not one that's always in agreement with Michael Collins, the West Cork independent doll deputy but I really think he is right when he says as a country we've gone above and beyond our utmost in housing refugees and asylum seekers. We've been told by all our politicians that we have a legal obligation to do so. However according to an editorial in the Business Post yesterday, Ireland and Denmark both have an opt-out clause in the Lisbon Treaty on these matters. Forget the far right or racism we just can't do any more on a practical level says uh, Maura. And of course the big fear with this rhetoric against the asylum seekers that are coming in and, you know, people you know constantly talking about the unvetted males and, uh, and, and, and a lot of it's fear-mongering, I have to say. A lot, you know, a lot of what you hear, certainly from the far right, is fear-mongering. But the danger is, remember, this country would not function if it wasn't for the number of migrants who come to live and work in this country. You just look at our hospitals, the number of nurses, doctors, care workers uh, who were born outside of Ireland and who are keeping our health service going. That's reflected across hospitality. It's a lot of our tech industry, a lot of our pharmaceutical industry. It goes right across the board. We are very reliant on migrants to come to this country and work. And the danger is that if you've got a migrant Workforce who's who are listening to this narrative of people being against asylum seekers, and everybody seems to get tired with the one brush, you know, Ireland for the Irish. When people hear that, if if your skin colour is slightly different, you're not deemed uh, to be uh, Irish, and that is only going to instil fear in our migrant population. And we, our country, certainly over the last number of years, has been built because of those uh, migrant workers. So we've got to be very, very careful about the road that we are going down. And you know, the, as as I said in the burning of that hotel um, we are much much better as a country than to stoop to the level that we would be prepared to see an iconic building been burnt to the ground rather than allow it uh, to house uh, refugees but I do agree with what a lot of people are saying and I don't think are the government ever going to learn because they don't seem to be learning uh, so far it's to have the consultation with the local people when you look back when the Ukrainian crisis first started 
when the war in Ukraine first started and the refugees started fleeing, uh, you know, when the government and the various departments got in contact with local people to say, we need your help. Can you help us here? Lots of people helped out and lots of people were, you know, I remember just in, in Butterfin, for example, the old convent that was used uh, to house Ukrainian refugees. I, I don't know if they're still living there or not, but they have very short notice that local people rallied around. Beds were being made, made up. They were getting clothes in because people were literally travelling with the clothes on their back. But there was that sense of community helping out uh, to do whatever they could. But there was negotiation and there was discussion. But I think when you see what happened in Galway, it was just last Friday. The news filtered out that next Thursday, these 70 uh, asylum seekers were to arrive in a very rural area. You can understand people saying the services weren't there, but that still does not um, condone anybody deciding to burn down the building. 0818 103 103. Your thoughts and comments welcomed. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Now, the rate of closure of nursing homes has surged since the COVID pandemic with 44 shutting down in the last three years. That's according to a report from the Health Information and Quality Authority, HICWA. To discuss how these closures are affecting families, I'm joined by Tig Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland. Good morning to you, Tig. Good morning, Patricia. And good I, to speak with you. I, and great to speak with you. And I was thinking this morning as I was preparing for your interview today, I've lost count of the amount of times I have spoken to you about mm. with you almost shouting from the rooftops that we are going to see more and more nursing homes uh, closed down unless something is done. So I suppose start by talking about what are the main reasons why a nursing home would decide to close? Yeah, look, I mean, this is obviously very, very disappointing news, but not surprising, as you say. You and I have spoken many occasions, but once you have the the independent regulator, HICWA, highlighting the issue of closures, um, it is most definitely a wake-up call for government. In effect, what HICWA have said, um, they've corroborated what we have been saying for a number of years, is that ultimately the financial viability is key, uh, and that's one of the main reasons. They also talk about staffing. Uh, they also talk about burnout after the, the COVID pandemic. And interestingly, they use the phrase that uh, it's not an attractive proposition for the next generation. Um, so, as you said at the outset, this is confirming what we have been, as you say, shouting from the rooftops for the last number of years. But we're not being listened to. Now, we'd be hoping uh, that once the independent regulator, which is effect an arm of state uh, and advises the Minister for Health, once they have raised the alarm bells, uh, we'd be hoping that ministers and government broadly will at least accept that there's an issue here and then work with Nursing Homes Ireland and others to arrest this particular very worrying decline. Has the pandemic led to greater challenges, do you believe, for nursing home owners? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, the, the resilience of the sector was tested in the extreme in the pandemic. And to be fair, you know, it was the, the providers and indeed the staff across the sector who stood up and, and were counted. But, you know, the model of, of care has changed. Uh, you know, the dependency, the age profile of those entering nursing home care. I mean, nursing home care was traditionally a very kind of a homely social care model. Uh, clearly, after the pandemic, you know, a lot of emphasis, quite rightly, on infection prevention control, for example. So, you know, in some cases, tipping into an, an overly medical model. So it has created huge challenges and the system has not responded. The sector has responded, but the system in terms of funding, in terms of you know support from uh, the HSE, in terms of access to therapies, uh, you know, the challenges that GPs have in terms of visiting residents in nursing homes. So there's been a significant number of challenges on a system that was already under pressure. Um, so it has illuminated many of those. And despite our best efforts, 
you know, the, the response from government around many of those issues uh, has, has been found wanting. And, and it really is, I suppose, it, it does lay bare, the, as we said in our statement, the state's failure to address the crisis in care. Yeah, because 77% of our nursing homes are run by private uh, providers. Would you say that many of them are struggling because, the, for example, the state supports are not as high as, say, what a HSE nursing home gets? Yeah, and, and that's the nub of it, effectively. I mean, the state knows what it costs to provide care. It's €1,000 per day in an acute hospital bed. It's about €2,000 per week in a HSE-funded nursing home. Uh, and they're expecting the private and voluntary sector to provide care for an average of, yeah, I think, €1,060 now. So that's, you know, that's at the root of it. It's not the only issue, absolutely, but it is at the root of it. And and the fact that uh, we, we published a report and we spoke earlier this year, PricewaterhouseCoopers, in 2022, uh, over a third of all nursing homes were actually operationally losing money. Uh, and based on our research and my contacts with members across the country, that's probably up to 50% now. So when you have a sector that is, you know, effectively losing money every day of the week, it, it, you know, it is unsustainable. And, you know, you can, any business and many of your listeners this morning will say you could sustain a loss for a year or two years or maybe three years, but you can sustain those losses indefinitely. And that's why it's so, so frustrating for those of us in the sector that government has failed to, to address the crisis and has failed to, I suppose, inject the badly needed confidence back into the sector. So, Many of the operators currently are very fearful of their future, very fearful of their, their ability to continue. And that is exacerbating, as I say, an already difficult situation. And that will have drastic, drastic consequences for all of us. You know, when people listen, they might say, well, you know, Tyg is only speaking about nursing home care. Of course I am. But the impact that has on our acute hospitals, the impact that it has on our older people. And, and that's the nub of it. I mean, you know, we can talk about 40 closures and 2000 beds and you know, numbers all day long. But these are real people. These mm. are our family, mm. our family and friends who have to move home, leave home and transfer to other parts of the community. So, look, you know, we're as an organization collaborative. We'd be hoping that, you know, government will listen uh, and will work closely with us to try and arrest that this, this, this very worrying uh, decline. Yeah. And we're an aging population. And while this might not be an issue that's affecting you today, you never know when you or a family member is going to be in need of one of these beds that has suddenly been lost to the system. And is it fair to say, Tyke, that rural areas are more badly affected when a nursing yeah. home closes its doors? No, 100 percent. I mean, you know, in many rural areas, you, you have listeners across uh, Cork City and County this morning and they'll know the local nursing home. They might have family or friends working there and they may even have family or friends living there. I mean, the, the figures between 2019 and 2022 in Cork alone, there was 57 bed closures. So, you know, we have an aging population. We should be celebrating that and planning for it. So it does have a huge impact. I mean, HICWA's figures are very, very stark uh, across the 26 counties between 19 and 2022. 20 counties had reductions, one county Mayo had uh, break-even, as it were, and five uh, counties across the country had increases in, in capacity. So, And we hear about Schlanty care every day of the week, and we hear about reorientation of care from acute to the community, you know, six, 700 people on trolleys in our acute hospitals. So the, the nursing home sector and care in the community is, is the bedrock of our future. But when you see nursing homes closing, you know, it is really, really concerning for all of us. Yeah, you mentioned staffing and as you say, HICWA mentioned staffing in this report as well. How do we solve the, the staffing issue going forward? I mean, how do we encourage more people to go into yeah. this caring profession? 
Yeah, look, there's, there's probably there's a couple of bits to it. Um, it's probably a program on its own, to be honest with you. But I suppose the two things that I would major on is one, and you put your finger on it, to make the career attractive. Um, you know, those that work in the sector, uh, they're so committed, they're so caring, they're so compassionate. So, you know, it is, in some respect, people would say a calling. So we do need to, you know, up the ante. I mean, I'm struck by, you know, in the, in the pandemic, uh, all of the people who worked in, in healthcare were essential workers. Um, but we need to value those essential workers. Uh, and that comes with, uh, I suppose, education and training. It comes with, I suppose, you know, talking up, for the want of a better word, those who work in the sector and not seeing it as, as uh, something that's not attractive. And secondly, the issue of pay and conditions. It has to be addressed. And that's inherently linked with the funding. I mean, we can't expect people to look after our most vulnerable and expect them to work on the minimum wage or even less than that, whether it's in daycare, home care, are indeed in, in nursing home care. So, you know, we have a significant, significant challenge. But I was reading the Irish Independent on Saturday and Richard Curran was making the point that, you know, as a wealthy country, and we are a wealthy country, um, you know, we need to we need to address many of those issues. And he mentioned uh, the area of caring for all the population as one particular. So we need to invest. Uh, we need to value those that live in, in nursing home care and also those that work in nursing home care. Yeah, and Linda in West Cork says uh, that she was reading about the report over the weekend. She said what struck her was that HICWA spoke of new nursing homes opening. She says, but if you uh, loved one living on the Mizzen Peninsula, a new nursing home in leafy Dublin 4 is of no use to you. That's the point I was making uh, absolutely last week. If you're in, in, in Castleton Bear, you know, there's not much point in having one in Cork City and saying to someone down in that neck of the woods or indeed in North Cork um, or any part of Cork City and County having to travel, you know, any more than 10 or, or, or more miles away from your home. I mean, you know, every day of the week, local GA clubs are celebrating uh, and to be fantastic to be in that community on a Monday morning after something happening in your community. If you're 30 or 40 miles away in a nursing home, you don't have that connection. So Hickwa made the point as well, your local GP uh, finds it difficult, obviously, and is impossible to come if you're that far away. Yeah, so yeah. It's all very well having additional beds in one part of the country, but we need them across, across the country, across communities. The bedrock of nursing home care was community care. Uh, your listeners would, would be very familiar with nursing homes right across the city, the city and county. Um, so, yeah, it, look... We need to stay, I suppose, positive as well. Obviously, it is very challenging, but, you know, we need to, we need to in, in, the, in my mind, in the first instance, get government to accept there is an issue. And as I said, the fact that HICWA, the independent regular, now have put it front and centre, we'd be expecting that government would respond um, and work with the providers to address, uh, I suppose, the key challenges. And we're not naive, but, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but if you were to build a new nursing home in the morning or additional beds, it's going to take three, four, five years to bring that to fruition. So all of the decisions we're making now will have a huge impact in the next five or six years when our population is thankfully going to grow and grow. Yeah, and we have to make sure that we secure the ones, the beds that we still have. Just finally, a listener says, could you please ask Tig, uh, what does he think of nursing homes using patients' money to fund the running of the nursing home unknown to families? We've been reading about it in the papers. How common mm. is that? Yeah, I mean, that was one particular case and it's unacceptable. There's no there's no point in saying anything else. Um, and it was dealt with by the regulator. I mean, the sector is the most highly regulated of the health service. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And to be fair, you know, the sector has stood up. That report that I speak of and that, that has led to this conversation, the 88% compliance across the sector. Um, we'd like it to be higher and we'd like it to be 100%. Uh, but in a, in a people, uh, I suppose, in a people sector, uh, it is difficult to achieve the 100% compliance, but 88% compliance is very, very high. 
but clearly, you know, any uh, you know malpractice in any sector nursing homes or other is just not acceptable OK alright listen I, I know you're under pressure with uh, more interviews so I'm going to let you go Tyke thank you listen, okay, thank you for that have a happy Christmas and, and, and best for Christmas to you and yours thanks yeah, for joining us uh, bye bye that bye. is uh, Tyke Daly of Nursing Homes uh, Ireland commenting on that HICWA report that came out uh, last week and, and HICWA now are starting to get worried when they're bringing out reports uh, showing the closures have more than doubled over the last uh, four years of nursing homes. 0818103103. Bernie, taking your call. Now, while we always try to do our best to highlight scams, particularly if a new one comes uh, to, li- to light, like the case of a farmer here in County Cork who was scammed online trying to buy a tractor. The case is highlighted in this week's Irish Farmers Journal. And joining me, Anne O'Donoghue, who is the news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal, who wrote uh, the piece. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Patricia. Thank you very much for having me Well, on. you're very welcome. Now, the farmer is remaining anonymous. Does he feel embarrassed that he fell for the scam? Like many people feel really, really embarrassed when they get caught out. Is he feeling that way? Um, I don't know, to be honest, Patricia. I think his main thing was that he really just wanted to get across so to make sure that other people didn't fall into the same trap as he did. Um, I think, obviously, for a lot of people, there would be a certain you know level of I suppose, embarrassment or, you know, how come this happened to me or I shouldn't have fallen for it. But really, if you go through the details as I can now, it's very, it's, it was a kind of, he did try and do a little bit of check and background and things like that. And yeah, it was, it was, he got stung. yeah, it was quite sophisticated. Okay, it started back in uh, October. Uh, wh- where did he see the ad for the tractor? So he originally saw the tractor, Patricia, on Facebook Marketplace. It was a Ford tractor. And the ad was actually in the Dutch language. And you know, some people, some listeners will know that um, you have an automatic translate function on Facebook. So he clicked translate and it was in English. Then he got in contact with the person who was allegedly selling the tractor, who was saying that they were a Dutch machinery dealer. And they had several conversations, both on the phone and through hotspots. The tractor was advertised, it was 4000 and that plus the cost of delivery. And that kind of cost of delivery is important in this story. Um, the cost of delivery was to be just over €1,000, €1,080. Um, so in subsequent conversation, the price of the actual tractor was brought down to 3250 plus that delivery. And the agreement was that the, tra- the farmer would pay the cost of delivery in advance, and then when the tractor arrived in his yard in Cork, he'd pay the price in full. All right, so he was he was being careful. He wasn't handing over all the money straight out. Yes, and then that cost of delivery was subsequently brought down to just a thousand because that is the maximum amount listeners may know as well that you can send a new pay on your Bank of Ireland app. So if you set up a new pay, there's a certain amount of time before you can send more than a thousand to them. Oh, so I, was I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. So even the the scam artists uh, know that as well. And this particular farmer, and I'm right in saying he had purchased online before with absolutely no problems. Yes, that was a point that um, the farmer made to me, Patricia. Where I thought was quite interesting during COVID, he had like many people started online shopping. He had saw a few tractors advertised online. They were now they were coming from Ireland. Um, okay. But off the basis of, you know, he made a few phone calls, he just sent videos, sent pictures to the tractor, and he bought a couple of pieces of machinery, and they arrived, no problem, they were 100% as advertised. So it was almost like a progression that things had kind of worked out this way, and he said, look, I will, I'll give this a go. Um, so a couple of interesting points, Patricia, on kind of what he checked out in advance, or what their kind of conversations covered. Um, the alleged machinery dealer had an Irish IBAN, 
and he said that he imported tractors very often to Ireland, so he has an Irish bank account. Um, the farmer did ask him, where does he send tractors to? And who are these people that, you know, he's selling tractors to? And the machinery dealer said he can't tell him because of GDPR. But that, but that he, could, he could check it out and get back to him. Um, and another, con- so this alleged machinery dealer had also said that he's a Dutch dairy farmer. They had a conversation around the price of milk. And the farmer from Cork asked what was the price of milk. And the alleged machinery dealer was able to give it very accurately, he said it was 42 cents to the kg, which is in around the current price of milk in the Netherlands. Um, there's also a video of the tractor running sent to the farmer, um, and you could see a machinery garage in the background. So there are a number of factors that did make him think it was legit, but ultimately the farmer did say to me, Patricia, that he did know he was taking a chance, and he would say to others, don't take the chance. Yeah. Um, so because it, it is sophisticated, but it is a chance, and he it's ultimately he came out the wrong side of it. So he he sent off this one thousand euro, which was to be the delivery charge. And what happened then? So he was waiting for the tractor to arrive. As with a lot of these scams, Patricia, there was kind of a sense of urgency around it as well, which is a red flag. It was you know either space on a boat leaving. You know this is the space we want to kind of pay today. So that is another red flag if there's any kind of sense of urgency around these things. So he paid in time to get this alleged space, um, and a couple of days later, then. The alleged machinery dealer rang the farmer and said, look, I have no warranty. That was exactly what he said. But you're going to pay me uh, when the tractor arrives in your yard, so I need you to pay in full. And it was at that point that the farmer knew it was a scam when he was asking for more money. Um, so he knew it was without a scam. The, without the machine, without the, the, the tractor having arrived. So he never saw, the tractor never arrived? No, no, never arrived. Did he contact the Gardaí? He did contact the Gardaí, yes. And what do they, they, they told him, stop straight uh, away? Pardon? Did they pardon? tell him, stop, don't send on any more money? Yes, at that point he knew, he knew, he was aware the minute he asked for further money that this was a scam. Um, so he wasn't going to send on any more money or anything like that. But he did make contact with the Gardaí, um to make them aware of this. Has he been able to get the Dutch dealer back on the line? Um, not at present, no, Patricia. No. Um, he hasn't had any subsequent contact with um, this alleged Dutch machinery dealer. And the advice that the farmer, I asked this farmer what advice we have to others, and he said, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, I don't know so, the price of tractors, but was that a good price for that tractor? Yes, yeah, yeah. It was a tractor. Um, that tractor could be going for 15,000 in Ireland. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, you, uh, you, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is, is too good to be true. Did you try and engage with the with the alleged dealer, Anne? Yes, Patricia, I rang him and I spoke on the phone to him for a short period. I explained the purpose of the call and what had been, what, what the allegations that were against him and the minute he heard um, the make of the tractor, he hung up on me and I haven't been able to contact him. He's you blocked, has he? I, I don't. I may, maybe, maybe. Yeah, you'd wonder is 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 there more of this uh, going on? And and I think that's why I think well done to the farmer for highlighting it because it'll certainly alert anybody else who comes across, you know, a knockdown price for a tractor and particularly the Dutch connection. Uh, but of course, the Dutch connection, he could be anywhere. Absolutely, we don't know, Patricia. And the thing as well about a lot of people would just fight themselves that look, you know, people like. Like machinery dealers, there's a markup when you bring them from abroad. So maybe that's why this price is so much better. But you know that that is, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And that's kind of the advice that this farmer would give. And I suppose he's very exceptionally vigilant with anything online, especially when it's big sums of money like that. 
And is the money gone? There's no talk about getting it back from the bank or anything, no? Um, not at the moment, anyway, no. Patricia. There's no talk of recouping no. the money. Um, I think the farmer's main thing in highlighting this story was really that he just he didn't. He said to me that he's he's not looking, he's not doing this to look to get his money back or anything like that. But he just hate to see someone else falling into this trap. Yeah. Just let the bad luck of the year go with it. But a thousand euros, a thousand euro, hard a hard earned uh, cash. It is indeed. Listen, and thank you for that. And thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Anne O'Donoghue, who's news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Some of your calls still coming in about the fire that happened in Galway over the weekend. People still very angry about the number of asylum seekers that are coming into an area, and particularly coming into areas where there's no consultation. Just to give you a sample of some of the calls uh, coming in to us. Hi, Patricia. Uh, Ireland for the Irish first. We have Irish girls on our streets and then they can't get a home. The government have the country in chaos. They must go, says this texter who's saying blame is for the government. Hi, Patricia. What were the government thinking about the very notion of sending 70 men into a rural area in County Galway. It must stop. What's happening is word is spreading around about the soft touch Ireland is and the money they are getting. It's about time we started looking after our own. And then when I mentioned the number of migrants in our workforce here and how dependent we are for various sectors on migrant workers, somebody says legal immigrants are welcome to Patricia. The illegal ones are not. Yeah, but the fear factor is that the legal, the workers, the migrant workers that are here are starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable and it might put off others coming to this country. Now, Peter in from Oi says, because somebody mentioned earlier that there's a meeting happening and I said I saw something about it on social media uh, during the week. Uh, there is a meeting happening tonight. It's to discuss. Now, it's a discussion. Uh, it's to kind of debate the uh, immigration issue. Several councillors and Matthew McGrath, the independent TD for Tipperary, have all agreed to attend. Peter says, uh, speaking from Formoy, there's been no consultation with the people. Anger is growing. Last week, the rural independent group brought a motion to the Dáil uh, where they tried to discuss the issue of immigration and it was cancelled. If we can't even have a debate within our own Dáil, we're forced to debate it outside. The meeting is happening at the gates of the town park tonight at eight o'clock and Peter just describes himself as a local concerned uh, resident and other people. Yeah, and if people have concerns, they need to be listened uh, to. So well done to Formoy for facilitating that. At least listen to both sides and maybe try to allay some people's uh, fears. And Laura Boyle, remember Laura who we spoke with, who is one of those who's part of the protest outside that Abbeville, the former bed and breakfast in uh, Abbeville She's going to be attending that meeting tonight, eight o'clock in the town park for local people. 0818103103. Claire says, Patricia, I'm more than slightly appalled by your statement this morning that Ireland is dependent on immigration to staff the health service. Yeah, well, I was making the point that we've got a lot of, I don't know what the actual breakdown is. I'll take a look at it this afternoon, but I know the figure is very high on the number of people not born in Ireland who work within our health system. Uh, Claire is giving us a history lesson. She says, back in 2007, Mary Harney, the then Minister for Health, announced an employment embargo of doctors and nurses. 
process. A similar thing has been introduced uh, again. All the newly qualified Irish medic, medics subsequently left to work abroad. Of course, Ireland is now dependent on immigration. Yeah, but that that embargo was only in place for a period of time. It wasn't there all the time. But anyway, uh, Claire says you reap what you sow. The burning of the hotel in Galway and uh, an appalling act as it is, is in my opinion, a statement of the people trying to attract the government's attention. They cannot plough blindly on without addressing their own people's needs. The responsibility for this, Claire writes, in very big block capitals lies squarely with the uh, government. Yeah, And I think that's kind of the thrust of what people are saying is that, you know, if people are going to move into an area, discussions have to be held. You can't just open up a unit and say, OK, we're going to put 70, 90, 150 people in there when discussions have to take place with uh, local people. Now, what happens then when local people object to it and say, you know, no way, I don't know where the government go from there. 0818-103-103. And then Dan was on about a completely different topic. And Dan says, I wonder... Could you ask your listeners, please, if anybody was out driving over the weekend, did anybody come across a Garda checkpoint? Or did anyone come across Garda cars out on the roads over the weekend? Dan said Christmas parties are now in full swing. And it was a very busy weekend this weekend for Christmas uh, parties. Dan was expecting to see more checkpoints and he said he didn't see any. And he said he did a lot of driving over the weekend and he was expecting he was going to be stopped all over the place and he wasn't. Well, I can tell you, I did see a piece in on Cork Bio, uh, ie yesterday where the Cork Gardaí were thanking the public after finding no drink or drug drivers at one of their Christmas uh, checkpoints. Now, while that happened here in Cork, other parts of the country, there was hundreds of people were caught driving under the influence. It was officers based at a West Cork checkpoint. Now, I don't know where in West Cork the checkpoint was, but they were patrolling what was described as a busy road in search of motoring uh, offences yesterday. Now, they were looking for other things. They were looking for, you know, people driving without a licence, people driving without tax, people driving without uh, insurance, looking at defective uh, vehicles. But they were, in particular, because we're in the Christmas period, looking to see was anybody driving on the influence of alcohol or drugs. Now, they said several roadside tests were carried out, but the Gardaí in West Cork were happy to report no arrests and they thanked the public for their cooperation. Everybody passed with flying colours. Now, while that West Cork checkpoint could uh, celebrate, it wasn't the same all over the country. Hundreds of people were caught drinking and driving. And this is part of the Christmas and New Year road safety enforcement operation that's in place by Angarda Siakana. The project was launched at the end of November and it runs until the 4th of uh, January. And so far, they say officers have carried out upwards of 1,400 checkpoints but that's 1,400 checkpoints nationwide. Don't know what the figures are for locally here in Cork. They say over 300 motorists were arrested on suspicion of driving either under the influence of an intoxicant uh, and included in that was 86 for drug driving. Gardaí also confirmed that in the first two weeks of December they issued 5,500 fines for speeding and 360 notices for the use of mobile phones. I thought that at the moment mobile phones would even have been higher because I've certainly noticed whenever I'm sitting um, you know, approaching traffic lights or sitting at a traffic light, the amount of people on their mobile phones is just incredible. And of course, the festive season, sadly, is notorious for drink driving uh, offences and we've seen too many deaths on our roads so far this year. 177 we are now 
30 people more have been killed than the same period for last year. So it looks like we're going to have a record year, sadly, for uh, road deaths. And, and Garda Siakona are continuing to appeal to motorists to please drive safely on the roads this Christmas and the New Year. Never, ever drive under the influence of drink and our drugs. Reduce your speed, always wear your safety belt and never, ever, ever use a mobile phone while driving. 0818103103. Were you out and about this weekend anywhere across Cork City and County and did you come across any of those Garda checkpoints because the Christmas campaign is underway so you would expect to see some but Dan says he was driving didn't see any did you spot any? Were you stopped? Were you breathalyzed? And hopefully if you were, you passed with flying colours. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Now a caretaker slash cleaner is wanted in Maria Immaculata Community College in Dunmanway. The number to call is 086 046 3492. A cleaner is wanted in MICC school in Dunmanwe. That's a Monday to Thursday position from 4pm to 8 and then it's Friday from 1 to 5. CVs please to david.hayes at apollonia.com. Capita Customer Solutions in Clonakilty. They've got a vacancy for a customer service agent. CVs please to ccscareers at capita.com. Dot, uh, com. And EPS have vacancies for qualified electricians. It's based in the West Cork area. Now, training and upskilling opportunities will be provided. Email jobs at epswater.com or you can call them at their Mallow office 022 31200. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, in the run-up to Halloween, we spoke with uh, Michael Fortune of Folklore.ie and we promised before the close of the year we'd have him back on the programme to talk in particular about his dresser project, but we also wanted to chat with him about traditions associated with Christmas and how a lot of our traditions have uh, changed. I'm delighted to say Michael Fortune from uh, County Wexford uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. Uh, always, always great to talk to you. Now, if you, if you look at anywhere you go around the country, houses are festooned with bright lights and Christmas trees and as much decorations as you can cram into a house or a garden. But that wasn't always the case for older people, was it, Michael? No, a, a, um, a lot of people would have only had a bit of holly and ivy. That was the kind of tradition. I mean, even my own grandmother she died at the age of 103 in, here in Wexford, in rural Wexford, and she never had a Christmas tree in her life. And <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, so she never, they wouldn't have had it. The Christmas tree, it was, it's relatively, well, it's not relatively new. It would have come into England in the late 1700s and then got popularised in the middle of the 1800s. And then kind of you'd see images of it cropping up. I've seen images from Galway, uh, from Roscommon. Uh, a lot of the big houses would have had them, you know, things would have been associated with, I suppose, the Anglo-Irish, and then it would have spread into the towns and the cities. And then for a lot of country people still, I know here in Wexford, and probably the same in Cork as well, they probably wouldn't have had Christmas trees until, you know, 70s, I'd say, 70s, even somewhere the, the early 80s, you know, uh, before they had a Christmas tree. Now, I love a Christmas tree. I have a couple of them up here with children in the house, you know, so I wouldn't change... I wouldn't change that, but that's just the that was, that's so the they, they they went out and they got just holly and ivy. And w- w- what would they've placed it over pictures? And what would they've done with the holly and the ivy? 
Yeah, normally again, whenever and I'd still I'd still do it myself. Like you'd always get a bit of holly and ivy, um, holly in particular, berry holly in particular, with loads of red berries, and you'd put it over the pictures. You'd put it over any religious picture you'd have over the doors, uh, on the dresser. If people had dressers years ago, that was always a famous spot for it. And I was only reading an account actually last night from a, a newspaper account from 1931 from America of kind of like of Christmas traditions around the world, and it kind of mentions that it mentions the lack of trees in Ireland, and it mentions the the the, the use of holly and ivy everywhere um it also mentions the, the wren boys lads going to hunt in Duran, a very particular tar, particular to ireland from all over ireland i know it's popular in cork and kerry still mm. in munster but it's still still done in, in other counties as well it was in, in every county but yeah and you come here to me the thing as well i suppose christmas a lot of people as well said they'd only put up the holly um like on christmas eve you'd only get it on christmas eve some people told me as well that uh, over the years that you'd only get the holly and they'd go to bed that night and they'd wake up the next morning and the holly the holly would be left outside and then the mammies and daddies would put it up that night then so you up in the place was all decorated for you when you got up in the morning as a child so it was kind of a lovely bit of magic there as well but i personally i i love i love holly and ivy i love going out to the fields here and getting a bit even with my own children getting a little bit um and looking out for it you know and some people try to their best try to keep the birds away from it but i think there's loads of buried holly this year which is a which is a which is a i don't know whether it's a good sign or a bad sign but it's a good sign for me anyway yeah and i, I know on our last program of, of the year it's normally christmas eve now it'll be the friday uh this year alice taylor the wonderful Alice Taylor from from to school to the fields. Uh, she talks about her traditions of growing up on the farm in in Newmarket in North Cork, and yeah, the holly was very much a part of it, and the, it was the only decorations that they had. And you know, they she had the excitement of her and her sisters going off and getting the holly and bringing it in, and and you know, but it was always close to Christmas. I think we start Christmas much earlier now than our grandparents, parents, and grandparents did. Oh God, yeah, absolutely. Like my grandmother would have only said it was maybe a couple of days before Christmas. That's when you put them up. Um, and I suppose now, but artificial trees and artificial lights. I suppose you know people are people are starting. Some people are starting October, November. Um, and come here. And in some ways, you can. At, at the end of the day, if you look out today, it's a big dark. Yeah. Dark, it's a dark. It was dark winter yeah. morning, so you can you can understand why people put up lights. We we kind of did these things just to mark the midwinter, and I suppose to cheer ourselves up and to give ourselves a little bit of light and hope. And I suppose that's a that's a, that's an important thing. And you, you you can't really you can't blame anyone for trying to do that. And I'd, I'd you know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just a, a, a kind of take on it. I myself love I loved it. I actually love the twelve days of Christmas. I love having running up to Christmas and having time off with the children, and actually not taking down the decoration until after little Christmas and yeah. you know just spent having, having those days you know um, and they're important Yeah and like as you say lights now it's all the artificial twinkly fairy lights and, uh, and all of that but the the Christmas candle was a huge tradition yep. Absolutely, and one thing that strike it's still seen in country areas still is the you know you'll see the candle bridges or a lone candle in the window. But the idea of lighting the candle on um, on just on maybe as the sun went down or as it just got dark, sometimes at six o'clock in the evening, um, lighting the lighting the big red candle that was kept on the on the kitchen table or somewhere in, in the house, and that was the kind of the, the idea of lighting the candle and welcoming welcoming the I suppose Joseph and Mary and or welcoming welcoming a visitor into the home. But that one of the great things I suppose now. The, where we're when living, we see loads of other people from different parts of the world, and especially different parts of Europe living in Ireland now. And we start to see all the different similarities we have. There's probably more similarities than differences. You know, the Polish community would be the very same. They'd light the candle as well. They'd have a big meal that evening, and uh, the French would be the same. And the gas thing is, I'd be looking, and you'd see it on RT News sometimes. And I know down in Kerry, I'm sure it had to be done in Cork as well, but it was done in Wexford and it was done in Dublin, it was done all over the country, where people would eat a ling uh, on Christmas Eve. 
you'd always get it because it was a fast day and you wouldn't be able to have any meat so you'd have you'd have fish that evening yeah so the idea of eating fish was big but the polish community still to this day I guarantee you i say the, the, the english market in cork there would be to be hopping off fish down there anywhere that sells fish in cork because they'll always eat fish on christmas eve it's a big tradition there but, but that community is still and but we did it but we dropped it you know we, we you know just things change you know or we, we, we whatever reason we change we lost it you know yeah I and mean, when you talk about businesses i heard about a business at the weekend it's um one of the uh, super i think it was a super value down in in west cork and they still have the tradition where they give uh, all of their loyal customers it's like a christmas cake it's the i mean it, when i where i was growing up in in tipperary it was like the Christmas box. It was the, the local shop where we got, you know, our milk and bread and all of that at uh, Tony's. They would always give uh, a present. Is, is is that tradition gone in a lot of places now? It's funny. It's, 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 and it's a lovely one. Do you know that there's always been a tradition of looking after people at Christmas? And now I, I see it, come here. I see it in my own home village here in Ballandagan where I'm living. There was loads of people who went to Argentina here out in the 1800s, late 1800s. And there was one man particularly came back with a, with a load of money and he set up a fund in the village and he says every, and at Christmas time, if you want to go up and get a bag of coal in the local shop, you could get a bag of coal. And that money came back from that, that whatever that money is there is from the funds from what came back from Argentina. I, I'd see as well, so I, I think it still goes on, you know, people would do it. You'd even see it in probably in, in, in country pubs. Men would be playing games of cards and get darts for hams and turkeys. It was a, we had a way of looking after people, you know, that kind of way, you know, people mightn't have to, mightn't have that much. You'd look after them. And even people getting holly, like we were we were farm labour and backgrounds. It wasn't that much money. But I always remember my poor old father going out and getting holly and giving it to the to older people. They wouldn't be able to go to the fields and get a bit. So people kind of looked after each other. Um, there's one there's one tradition here I came across in the village near us here and you'd be surprised you could find it you could find it in Cork as well where neighbours will give each other bags of sticks at Christmas Eve so neighbours will call to another neighbour especially an older neighbour and give them a, a load of a, like a bag of blocks and uh, just to have so it'll have fire and a bit of light uh, in uh, uh, sorry fire and a bit of heat in the over over Christmas so I think it's there sometimes we need to go looking sometimes for it but I, I'd hate to see us losing that with Christmas and it all to become all about ourselves rather than you know the bigger the bigger picture of who we are and yeah and and if and if you had a, a relative who lived in the countryside and you were inside say Cork City there was the famous tradition of the country cousin arriving in with the the turkey or or the goose that they would have uh, reared absolutely you nailed it and 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 that, that funny that with the bag of sticks thing that I came across a woman telling me the same she did go into town to the to the townies and said and drop me in a bag of sticks they wouldn't have it here was one thing as well I'd say it had to be done in Cork as well it was done in the western counties an awful lot but in other counties as well where people were posting turkeys over to England what? at Christmas time yeah exactly <laughs> your, your how could you post a turkey Exactly. Now, you wouldn't be putting your your your, your poor courier to it. Honest to God, it was widespread. I I'd be up in Mayo a good bit, and uh, re, right right till up till the seventies and eighties, right. And what they would do was they'd post over, say, the family those huge uh, emigration of people, and the, the, the mothers would would the mothers in particular would go down to the post office with this yoke wrapped up the best they could, and they'd wrap and it'd be sent to England. Like the thoughts of it today, they could think is absolutely mad without freezers <laughs> without. And sometimes they were telling me to be a bottle of putty and stuck up stuck. But again, and of course, with modern technology now, we all have access to the Internet. Do you remember the, the, the tradition of posting over the weekly paper? Like we'd have the, the Cork man here or the Southern Star in West Cork and it would be posted to loved ones abroad to keep them up to date with the news. 
Absolutely, yeah, I, I, completely. And I think in some ways the Ireland's own is still at that a little bit. You know, people like to, you know, the ones who would have left in the 50s and 60s because you know, there were no other options to go up but go, you know. And my own, my own aunt married a Cork, Cork man over in, over in Kilburn, over in London. And, and we, all our crowd had to go to England for work, you know. That, 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 that's what they had to do. But absolutely, that tradition was there, keeping up with the sport, keeping up. I'd say it's still going on a little bit if we if we kind of went looking. And it'd be a great little body of research in that because uh, I suppose it kept people connected. And I suppose the other thing now is I, I find as well I run that page folklore.ie and I get so many people looking in you know that would have had a, that would be they, they, they can connect again you know they connect through a mobile phone if I'm putting up content maybe an old word or a saying that someone might use or one of those little things you guarantee you get someone over in Birmingham or Coventry somewhere or Manchester typing in saying I remember, remember that from my days back years ago where, you know where I lived so um, I think the technology has helped help that you know and yeah, that, uh, yeah yeah because yeah. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Just on, I, I mean, I don't know if any, because you don't need to send the newspapers anymore because they're, they're already online. But I remember my brother back in the 80s, he would have literally finished in college and, and went straight on the plane and, and went over and he was living and working in London. And he was on the tube one day where nobody talks to anybody on the tube. And he said the guy opposite him pulled out the Nationalist newspaper, which is the <laughs> Clonmel based uh, local paper. And he got, oh my God. So he obviously said, hi, I'm from Clonmel. So they got talked and it turned out, lo and behold, to be Vincent Hanley 
Hanley's brother, who then, when Martin started saying, I'm one of the messengers, Vince uh, Fergal knew my sister. And it was just like the chance of it happening on a tube in the middle of London. But it was all because his mother had posted over the Nationalist and my brother happened to see it. And I just thought that kind of connection is is, is fab. And, and of course, it's gone because we don't have... We, we don't have people posting over the newspapers uh, anymore. Now, um, Santa or Santi? <laughs> this is oh a Lord, big, This comes up every year, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, it does, yeah. Civil, civil war territory. Come here, I, I'm pure on this. I, like a lot of people were. I'm Santi still, I suppose. That's what we grew up with them, country people. And I, funny, even, even in, in the middle of Dublin, I'd be up now and again recording there. And there'd be good working class Dublin women and they'd all have Santi as well. So it's funny, it's it's kind of, our community, whatever you call him, the, the man will still come and leave you presents. But it's just that, uh, I, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to, I just, I'm, I'm a great believer in seeing ourselves in the media that we, 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 we consume. And I'd love to see the name Santi coming up on, on ads and stuff like that. You know, because it's almost like, you know, um, it's just like I know so many people, probably half or probably more to call it, call it, call it the great man Santi. Um, but I'd love to see the, that that name represented on some of the ads and some of the stuff. Yeah, you know, I, agree. Than San, I agree. San, I agree. San, I agree. And, and I, I definitely think here in Cork, it's it's Santi. People talk about yeah. going to Santi and they remember visiting Santi when they when they were children or whether the younger generation are using Santa or not. But I'm with you. I, I, I always think it should be uh, Santi uh, as well. Now, you've got some traditions around the new year. I do. Come here to me. Actually, when you when you when you mentioned, I didn't know you were from Tipperary. I remember a great woman I recorded down in down in Kerry years ago, and the first Monday of the new year is Hansel Monday, and she was a great woman. You you those South Tipperary women, you wouldn't argue with them. And she said to me, she said, whatever you do on, on Hansel Monday, I said you don't you, uh, don't pay out any bills. She says, let them go to hell or high water, but you don't pay them on a Hansel Monday, so you don't pay any bills on the first Monday of the new year. But there is a lovely tradition around gifting the money to a child, and I guarantee you, sure, any of your listeners there will probably remember you know if you give a child a little purse or something like that you'd always slip in a coin into it just for a bit of luck yeah luck, luck money, money. Yeah, yeah yeah but some people call it Hansel money and on Hansel Monday on Monday now again this might be widespread but I've come across it in Cork City where people would Hansel give a child a bit of money that that um, on, on on that Monday so that they have money for the year um, and there's different traditions people have different takes on it but you get it in Scotland as well it's one of those traditions that kind of spread but very particular to you know you, you, you will you will find it um, you also said as well you wouldn't sweep out the ashes on Hansel Monday. That was awful a fierce bad luck. You wouldn't throw ashes out. But a lot of country ones will tell you you wouldn't throw you wouldn't sweep the ashes out any day. That's what they said as well. Um, the one is when I came across as well in Cork, and maybe the listeners will probably know it better. I, 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 I we didn't do it because we were up in the country. But the townies did it, and a woman from Arklow was telling me. An older woman from Arklow was telling me in the towns what they would do when the clocks would strike midnight and New Year's. They'd get the saucepans and anything at all that make a bit of noise and go out and bang them, and they'd be all wishing each other a happy New Year, happy New Year. But I put it up on the folklore page, and I got a lot of people, a lot of people from the cities got it, came back with it, said that they did it. And the towns as well. Uh, that's another, another one. But again, we didn't have it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, it, yeah. As you say, it varies from area to area. Now, I could talk to you all day, yeah. but I do want to talk to you about your uh, dresser and you have another fabulous calendar uh, out this year. Just to remind people, when did you start to collect and record the photographs of the Irish dressers? 
Yeah, back in 2015, I did a project. It was, again, temporary. There was a good few counties involved in it. And I was photographing all these lovely dressers. And we had an exhibition on for Bielton and for the... For the, uh, for the um, there's, an, there's always a great arts festival on around the country that time of year. And then during COVID, I was I said, realised I had all these lovely photographs on a hard drive. So I produced it into a calendar. And this is the fourth one now. Every year, I get a, a really good good number of them printed up. And they have a photograph of a dresser. And then I'll have the story behind it. And then I, w- I would scatter each month then with little folklore dates and this year do you know what i did um and uh, i got little qr codes so say for example i'm talking to you about your family dresser you can get your mobile phone out and hold it over it next minute brings you up on the screen and you can hear you talking about it or you can talk about yeah little things like as well little if when you go to say february it'll bring you up with little tutorials on how to make st bridges cross and, you know all that kind of little well, myself and john and paul last week were, were scanning loads of them we we we, we <laughs> went down a rabbit hole i have to say a whole <laughs> afternoon was spent with your qr codes there they, they are fantastic but the dressers, yeah. again, I, I mean, to me, whenever I see your calendar I, and your photographs, I just get lost in the photograph and I'm trying to see what's on the dresser. And I'm assuming you say to people, don't tidy it before I come, even though I know probably people probably do. But you try and get it in its as natural state as possible. Absolutely, yeah. That's all. When someone says, I'm going to tidy it for you, that's the yeah. first no be the big no don't leave it alone will you and leave it leave it as it is yeah and there's no end to them you know what I'd love to do hopefully next year I'm going to I'd, I'd recorded some in Cork I'd need to get back to Cork and spend a couple of days because apparently Cork is probably, probably one of the highest concentrate Cork and Limerick have got some of the highest concentrations of them but this year I've got dressers from Mayo Sligo Tipperary Carlow here in Wexford but they're lovely as you say you, you could look at them and you could you know you can spot a man's dresser a mile away you know you can spot a woman's dresser a mile away um, and then you start seeing little quirks and little things in them, you know, the dressers themselves are just, just, just lovely to look at. Um, but and come here to me, I've got some good news and bad news for you. I'm Go sold on. out of dresser calendars, right? The only Aye. place you get them, get them right is you get them in a, a book called Gaddy Dove down in Ballymacary, down in, in he's got they've got about oh, 10 or 15 copies of it. But the rest are gone. I, I, yeah, well done. They're the well, only well, they're, I can see why because because they, they, they really are they're absolutely stunning. What really caught my eye is uh, the lady, I think you have her in January and, and she's in uh, she's in the front cover, Mags uh, Joyce. She's got four dressers. She loves her oh, dressers. She certainly does. Oh, she was a great woman. I spent time with her back in May there this year up in Mayo. Oh, Camille was lovely. There's a, for those who don't know, you can visualise it. It's just a woman sitting in one of those big, cosy 70s armchairs looking up at this dresser and it's painted in the, in the Mayo colours. And it's one of the kind of dressers with a, the red and green on it. And this thing was a story. It was an awful sad story. It said that a poor old granny, she, she told me herself, hard, hard life, you know, real usual crack, real country, hard life and rearing children and all this. And one of the chaps went off to America. And when he went to America, he got conscripted into the Korean War straight away as soon as he arrived and didn't he go over and he got killed accidentally and the money that the American army gave back to the mother to for compensation for the, for the, to the death of the son she went off into Castle Bar and bought the dresser and oh, at the back okay. of the dresser the back of the dresser was a delay, little handwritten note the, t- the day she bought it and when she bought it and the shop she bought it from um, so powerful she's just just powerful so she's attracted she's, she's naturally um, attached to them for that to that one but the rest of them as well you know but she's uh, she was a a great, a great woman, you know. Yeah, and you, yeah. and do, do the dressers vary depending on what part of the country you're in? The style of the dresser. 
Oh, come here, without a doubt, absolutely. You know, um, I, like if you drop me into Mayo and I didn't study this, and re, you know, this was not just just this this kind of stuff came to me. This particular project did. I, if you drop me into Mayo, I'll tell you what dresser I'd know a North Mayo dresser than a South Mayo dresser. That's what a little. <laughs> that sounds that sounds completely bad. And I'm sure if I spend time in Cork, I start to spot. You'll spot I spot it here. You'll, if you have a carpenter, say your father was a carpenter, sure. And then I'd come along, I'd copy his design, then someone else would copy my design. And sure, naturally, it just the designs will just spread within maybe a couple of villages, you know, and then you'll start to build up within an area. So you will start to spot little little, little features and you completely you can spot the dressers along the West Coast are much more ornate and colourful than the ones, say, up in, in Ulster. And even the ones over here in Wexford are much more detailed. They're lovely. They've got lovely little, little designs cut into them and love hearts and little symbols and little things that mean stuff. Um so they're, go- they're, go- they're gorgeous. They were made, I, I they were made with yeah. such great love. And the, the other thing is lovely to see the people that have the China tea services and, and dinner services. And I'm assuming some of those have probably been in the family, maybe their mothers or grandmothers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you'll, you'll see that. And funny, it was only yesterday I was talking to a man and he said that, uh, who's actually from Cork, actually, he was down near Mallow, was in Limerick yesterday, and he said that, that, that they've only got one pla- one willow plate, one cup and one saucer left along to his grandmother, but apparently all the rest of them were, she had a whole full set on the dresser and didn't the son decide to move the dresser and they didn't take the stuff off and that was the end of it and, that was oh. that, and that's all they've, that's all they've oh, left. God. But I didn't, she never, poor creator, never forgot it. But you will, come here to me, you'll find wedding presents stuff on it. That's what I find a lot now. People go, that was mammy and daddy got that for the wedding present yeah, yeah. and, and, and never and never used they were lovingly put up on the dresser they were for the good wear they might have been used in the good room but they were rarely used Oh, completely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of this, yeah. I won't repeat what someone described them to me. They said they're like a man's ditty. They're all, 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 all ornamentation with no function. Yeah, I remember my mother. She polished and and, and dusting because they'd collect dust, but she keep them gleaming. But they were all they were too good for use. Listen, Michael, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. We'll chat with you again in twenty twenty four. But listen, thank you for joining us today and for all your contributions throughout the year. Happy Christmas to you. Same to you. Thanks, William. Thanks a million. God bless. God bless. That is Michael Fortune of uh, Folklore.ie and the Irish Dresser and his Folklore uh, calendar, which is just wonderful this year with the QR codes because it just contains, it's almost like a book as well. It contains so much more uh, information. And when we're talking about businesses giving out the Christmas box, and I don't know how many people uh, still do this. Hi, Patricia. Kathleen Cahill in Cookstown used to always give a cake or a brack at Christmas to every customer, no matter how much how little they bought during the year. Sadly, her shop closed during COVID. We'll never have that kind of kindness. We'll never see her likes again. And that's from a happy customer of Kathleen Cahill in uh, Crookstown. 0818 103 103. Lines open. Former Mayor of Formoy, Olive Corcoran, has published a book of poetry with all proceeds going to the Irish Cancer Society. Now, this is an organisation close to uh, Olive as she is currently on her own cancer journey. I'm delighted to say that Olive joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Olive. Good morning, Patricia. And it's it's so fantastic to hear you after all these years. It's it Patricia, really is great to chat. I I'm nearly on I'm nearly up to four thousand now and I can't get over how generous people were. I went down the day before yesterday to the retired guards and they all contributed and they wrote out the committee there, Joe Watkins and John Mulvihill and Hugh Collins wrote out a, a check for me as well as collecting. See, when you catch people around the table like that, uh, 
Okay, so, so you watch you you watch you're talking about this evening, nearly four thousand raised for the Irish Cancer yeah. uh, Society. And I went to the retired teachers the day before that down in Ed they were having a Christmas breakfast and they were equally generous. Yeah, they, it's, it's a great it's a great cause and I think yeah. it's it's close to everybody's heart. And I'll tell you, Patricia, it has straightened me. I'm not feeling sorry for myself because Every t- every time I'm collecting, I meet a young person in their 20s and 30s and they say, well, I've had treatment or I'm on treatment. And the Irish Cancer Society does do an awful lot for people. They They're do. absolutely great. They do. So and I, how I mean, are you? How are you health wise, Olive? Yeah, I'm stage four, but I haven't a pain or an ache, Patricia. OK. And <laughs> so, you, you're getting treatment? I am. I'm on this. Um, I've had chemo, okay. and I'm on this immunotherapy thing. Great. And um, it's grand. I can get a bit tired at times, but really and truly, I find this latest project of mine has kept my mind off. Yeah, things. yeah. I don't that's have it. to be thinking about that's it. That's it. And when so, did you take up writing poetry, Olive? Oh, I've always written poetry. When I was on the council, I did uh, first. Book and I did it for the search and rescue people because they don't people don't buy poetry books because they want to buy Olive Corcoran's poetry. They buy it for the cause. Yeah. So I did it for the search and rescue people, but I hadn't as many books that time. And um, I I'd love to do it for them again actually because they're a great cause. But this time because of my present situation, I decided to do it for uh, yeah. Cancer Ireland. By the way, Patricia, we have a free concert tonight down in the Youth Centre. We've Mo O'Connor singing uh, Shane McGowan music, and we've Pat O'Connor and his group uh, doing traditional music. And actually, the girl who inspired me to write this book, her niece, Tina Satchwell's niece, will say a few words about Tina. And we have someone from the Cancer Society as well. And we, we'd have all my poet friends and they'll be saying their poetry. Well done. And, and would you believe it, Kieran Barry gave us the uh, youth centre for free and himself and his secretary, Catherine, couldn't do more for me. They're supplying free teas and coffees and biscuits to the people who come. Now, there'll be a stand in the corner if... If there was anyone I didn't catch for the book and okay. if they want the book. Now, you, 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 you mentioned that this particular poetry book started um, because it, you wrote your first poem uh, in memory of the late Tina Satchwell. And Tina was actually a former pupil of yours. Yeah, I taught Tina in primary. She was a lovely little girl who couldn't say a word against her. Yeah. Um, very gentle person. And I used to meet her on the street, you know, and she was so into style, and I used to love style myself, you know, and she'd have some sort of a gorgeous coat on on her, and she'd tell me she might have she wouldn't have paid much for it, or she'd have got it. She was great for a bargain. She was great, and uh, and, yeah, and, and, and you called the you you called uh, the Tina's uh, poem, which I think is very apt. You've called it Earth Angel. Do do you yes. have it in front of you there? Would would you recite it for us? I do. Would, off you go I in your own time. Do indeed. Um, uh, this came to mind when I was going into her vigil in the town park, Patricia. Okay. A drizzling October day as I entered the town park gates, 
The soft rain sat on the pinnacles of silver grass, a damp smell of upturned earth. Trees twinkled, a honeybee buzzing between branches. Daisies crumbled as crowds swayed, and time stood still. I saw her there treading daisy chains as her classmates ran around like mad things, delighted to escape the drone of Irish verbs. She was silent and calm, always smiling, as she caught the butterfly perched on her arm. Put it in your jam jar, I said. We'll put it on the nature table. No, said she, I'll set it free. Fly high, little butterfly, until we meet again. And actually, she reminded me of the day I almost caught caused the butterfly to die one day I met her as an adult on the street. Yeah, yeah, and, and she reminded you of that. She reminded yeah. me of it. And uh, I remember the last day I met her, I asked her, would she like to come for a cup of coffee? Because we'd usually just say a few words on the street. And um, I felt she was dying to go, but the person with her wasn't having it, so that didn't happen. All right. Well, listen, we think of uh, Tina, and we particularly think of uh, Tina's family because it's uh, it's going to be another difficult Christmas for them. But listen, Olive, the best of luck with the book. It's it's wonderful. Patricia, one other thing. Okay. I'd like to say that, you know, at the concert, if anybody has... um, um, if anybody has po- a poem that they wrote themselves uh, and they'd like to see it from the audience. They can do it tonight. Uh, yes, and okay. they might get a prize. All right, thanks for that, Olive. We'll talk again, but thanks a million God, for joining us. Uh, good morning, Jack. Yeah. Bye-bye. Olive, Olive Corcoran, uh, former mayor of Cork with a book of poetry for the Irish Cancer Society. Um, I was really saddened to read that, uh, you know, Kate Garraway, the, the what is she, Good Morning, uh, Good Morning Britain, wasn't she, one of the presenters on Good Morning Britain. Remember her husband, uh, Derek, uh, has been seriously ill since he contracted COVID. He was one of the first to get COVID during the initial outbreak back in March of uh, 2020, but he got such a severe form of coronavirus. It left him with long-lasting damage to his organs and needing a daily care. And the news has just broken that he's in a very serious condition in hospital. It's uh, reported he's after suffering a, a heart attack, which is just so sad because Kate and uh, her children have just looked after Derek so well. You may have seen some documentaries that she made uh, detailing her family's life uh, with Derek because of the battle he's had with the long effects of of coronavirus and of people uh, there are still some people who don't believe that the coronavirus was uh, was actually really a virus at all you just have to look at Kate Garraway's husband Derek to see how devastating it, it can be he's been in and out of uh, hospital and she's been by his side literally from the uh, beginning and they have uh, two children Darcy and Billy so we, we think of Kate Garraway and her wonderful husband Derek it's a tough tough time for them and I think particularly when you hear things like that so close to uh, Christmas as well Oh wait. One eight one zero three one zero three. Some of your calls and comments coming in. By the way, the lines are open now for questions for Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist. You can either ring Bernie, who's sitting in for John Paul, or you can text or WhatsApp me here to the studio oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. If you have a question for uh, Annalise, now we were talking about that fire in Galway of the hotel that was due to be used as uh, asylum seeker accommodation, and the Gardaí are now believing that the fire was set uh, deliberately, and that then led to people uh, talking about, and, and I mentioned it as well that the government need to 
interact with local people. We need to stop that kind of arson attack happening and people need to engage with local community if their area is going to, if there's a building that's going to open up for asylum seekers or you Ukrainians uh, fleeing the war in their own uh, country and as we know in Formoy we only spoke about it on the programme last week there's a protest going on outside what was formerly a B&B Abbeville B&B it's opposite the town park in Formoy and that has been proposed as a centre for international protection people in the area are not happy about it and there has been a a vigil I don't know if you call it a vigil or a protest there's been like a tent an awning erected outside of Abbeville B&B and 24 Seven, it has been going on. Well, somebody has sent me a photograph from that group to say, Patricia, following on from your topic this morning, I want to ask you, do you think these people look like your typical far-right people? Uh, we are all from numerous backgrounds here in Formoy with genuine concerns. We don't appreciate the title that has been put out about us. As soon as somebody starts to protest, everybody says they are the far right. Uh, we are literally just a bunch of concerned people from Formoy who are now on day 28 of trying to protect our families and our community. Goodness me, 28 and they've 28 days and they've been doing it 24-7 in some atrocious uh, weather conditions. But it does seem like the town of Formoy is divided on this and therefore because of that, there's a kind of a debate, I suppose you recall, that's been organised. It's going to be outside the town park uh, tonight in uh, Formoy where people on both sides people who are welcoming of refugees coming to Formoy and obviously people from Abbeville uh, because I know Laura Boyle who we spoke with last week who's part of the Abbeville group I know she is going to be there and the local councillors are going to attend and Matty McGrath who is the independent TD not for the area but he's from just up the road in Tipperary uh, he's agreed to attend as well if people want to go along they're going to just try and debate both sides of for and against uh, moving refugees refugees into the area uh, and you know in fairness to Formoy it has been a town that's been very welcoming of uh, both international protection applicants and also Ukrainian uh, refugees and it's a town that is multicultural I mean they're the, they're the town that started the sanctuary runners they have the international choir we've spoken about their international choir and countless number of di- different countries are representing the international choir so they are very much a multicultural uh, town 0818 103 103 but in reply to that list or do you look like a typical bunch of far-right people? No, you don't. You just look like normal people in Formoy who have concerns, concerns that need to be listened to and addressed uh, for sure. 0818103103. I spoke with um, Anne O'Donoghue, who is a journalist with the Irish Farmers Journal and she's writing in this week's Irish Farmers Journal about a farmer uh, here in Cork, he, she doesn't, he doesn't get named in the article, but he just wanted to highlight what had happened to him when he went to buy a tractor. Now, it was a bargain buy. He accepts now in hindsight, the alarm bell should have, should have rang when he saw the bargain buy he was getting for the tractor. He thought he was engaging with somebody in Holland. He paid a thousand euro transportation costs. They came looking for more money. Then he started to get suspicious. And of course, it turned out to be a scam. He's lost his thousand euro, but he just wants to warn other people to be very, very careful. Well, that's prompted somebody to say, Patricia, I like to highlight a terrible scam that happened to me. I bought a tractor. I went on to one of these well-known Irish websites and the sale price looked like a good deal. So I decided to buy the tractor. I drove all the way to Dublin and I brought the tractor home. I was delighted with myself. I handed over €9,000 in cash for the purchase of the tractor. Four days later, the owner of the tractor arrived into the yard of my farm looking for his tractor. He had a a tracker 
on the tractor. So he was able to trace it back to me on my farm in West Cork. I had been scammed. I lost all my money. They are experts at what they are doing. Everything looked perfect. Would you believe I even got a receipt for the €9,000 the next day? I really feel awful. I felt at the time like I'd stolen the tractor from this person who came looking for the tractor. These scammers are not welcome in these in this world. They are thieves. Really enjoy your programme and listen to it every day. Thank you and a happy Christmas to you. And listen, many happy returns. And I hope you reported that to the Gardaí. But I know with cash, it's very hard to get cash uh, back. But, and I'm wondering, they must have stolen the tractor to order almost because if it took the original farmer four days to track it down to you, I mean, if the tractor was on the tractor, you would have thought as soon as it went missing, he would be able to have tracked it. But obviously he wasn't. But uh, yeah, I would. I mean, I'm hoping you have reported to the Gardaí because I know a lot of people get embarrassed when they get caught out with these scams. But these scam artists are really, really good at what they do and they are getting better at it. So you really just have to be very, very careful. And I know we're hoping before Christmas to do a piece um, because so many people are buying items online, you know, couriers are dropping things to our home and on post is delivering things to our home. There's been an increase in the numbers of scams related to packages arriving. And, you know, you'll get a message for a very small sum of money saying, you know, there's, there is excise duty outstanding on a package and because of course because of Brexit so much stuff now when you buy from England you do have to pay import or export duty on it so people think because it's a small amount of money and I'm waiting on a package they pay it and of course if you give any kind of bank details credit card details debit card details to these guys you can be cleaned out very very quickly so we are hoping to do something with the Banking Federation before the close of the week just to keep everybody alert to the amount of scams that are doing the rounds now a lot of reaction to the wonderful Mar- Michael Fortune who joined us from folklore.ie uh, discussing his dresser project but just also discussing different traditions around Christmas. Some people still abide by a lot of these uh, traditions but for many others uh, they are gone and he spoke about the holly and the ivy. They were the only form of decoration that many people in rural areas would have had. They wouldn't have certainly have had all the fairy lights that we have now or the, the ornate Christmas trees with the baubles and the tinsel etc. Ellen is down in West Cork and she's listening to us this morning. She said when she was growing up, you were not allowed to bring Holly into the house without the ivy because it was seen this bad luck. I didn't know that. Oh, I must pass that one on to Michael. I'm sure he's aware of it. And he said, and she said, Hansel Monday, that Michael spoke about. You never paid a bill on Hansel Monday. Now, Ellen said Hansel is the 1st of January. Michael said it was the first Monday in January. And Ellen says the idea behind it was you would have all of your bills paid by the end of the year. Ideally, you'd have all of your bills paid by uh, Christmas Eve. And she said, yes, when Michael suggested that a lot of people had fish for dinner on Christmas Eve. Uh, Ellen in West Cork clearly remembers that because back in the 50s and I don't know if it went up into the 60s or not, Christmas Eve was actually a fast day. And I wasn't aware of that. Maybe it died out in the 50s. I, I, I certainly don't remember Christmas Eve being a fast day, which meant you couldn't eat meat. So people always had to have fish on uh, Christmas Eve. Hi, Patricia. What gorgeous memories you have evoked this morning with Michael Fortune talking about the dresser in the kitchen. My dear grandmother, who died back in 1973, had an absolutely lovely dresser. And sadly, 
a saucy daughter-in-law threw it out after all the years. I am still to this day cross when I think of my grandmother's lovely uh, dresser and listening to Michael talking about it today has actually made me uh, cry. And if you look at, if you go on to folklore.ie and look up his dresser uh, project to see the condition of some of these dressers, many of them are very, very old dressers and they've been lovingly looked after. Now others have been made, you know, you, you still have people making these uh, uh, dressers and uh, the, a lot of people just love the idea of the dresser but certainly when you look at the dresser it it reminds people of, of growing up in kitchens and I don't know if it was very much a country thing or a town thing I don't know if towns and cities would have had a dresser but certainly in rural kitchens the dresser had uh, everything kept on it all the good um, China wear and the Delph uh, was kept but everything else was placed up on uh, the uh, dresser. And Brendan emailing the uh, programme Cork Today at c103.ie says, hi Patricia, I am now a resident in East Cork but I was born in England. I was born to a migrant background. My mother was a farmer's daughter and I have very clear memories of the postman in South London arriving with a blood-soaked package in the run-up to Christmas. Yes, what was in the package? It contained a turkey sent from the farm at home. The Royal Mail postman seemed quite used to this annual delivery to our house and he was rewarded with whiskey and a cake for his efforts. I also remember the Cork Examiner, the Hollybough and other papers arriving at various times. They were happy days. Yeah, uh, the the posting of the newspaper certainly was one, but of course now they can get them all online, which is which is terrific. But I had never heard until Michael spoke about it, sending sending a turkey in the post. It just seems an incredible thing. I mean, you would just wouldn't get away with it uh, today. I mean, the one I would have remembered was uh, Hickey's Barnbrack. Sending Hickey's Barnbrack, and they are the most wonderful Barnbracks. They were always uh, sent to the English cousins at uh, Christmas, and it just it gives you a taste of home, doesn't it, to have something like that? And I know over the years, many people would have sent uh, Christmas cakes to family that were that were overseas as well, particularly to England, and to give you a little taste of your. Your, the Christmas cake that Mammy or Granny uh, would have made when you were when you were overseas and away for Christmas. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. And then somebody was on to us to say, "Good morning, uh, Patricia. I was wondering if you could check out why the tap option at the toll near Corran Fomoy Rathcormick exit has red tape over it." Does this mean that it's cash only now? I rarely have cash on me, so this could have been rather awkward. Luckily, I had other people in the car with me frantically rummaging around and luckily they had some cash on us so we were able to get through. But not everyone might be as lucky as me thinking you caught you and there could be a big tailback of traffic behind you then if you get uh, caught. Now we got on to the toll operator and Bernie said spoke to a very pleasant lady who is unaware that there is tape put across the tap option and she is going to check it out for us and she will get back to us. So I don't know if we'll have anything before the close of the programme, but if we do have something before the close of the programme, ah, they've just got back to us. Okay, the toll plaza company got back to us. Water got into the machine, so it's taped over for now. They're expecting it to be fixed by this afternoon. Water got into the machine, you would think. I mean, I'm assuming water, rain, 
was there a lot of rain at the weekend? Anyway, it's been damaged, but they're going to fix it. Okay, thank you for that. 0818 or 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. We are, please, looking for your questions for Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, because she will be joining us at this hour. So if you've got a question for Annalise, either into Bernie or you can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council reminding you to support local when choosing gifts this Christmas. The Donnerail Active Retirement Group, they're meeting for art with Una. And that is this afternoon at the earlier time of two and it's in the Presentation Pastoral Centre. Bingo in Butterfield GAA Hall tonight starts at eight. And this week's jackpot is €4,450 and every full house tonight will be worth €100. There'll be carols by candlelight tonight at seven. It's in Killa Church. It features Killa Church Choir, St. Fergal's National School Choir, Corka Corka Dulcia and the Voices and Shine Youth Group and doors will open at half past six. And this Christmas Anam Cara is asking everyone to light up their virtual Christmas tree with a very special light of love in memory of a loved one. You simply do it by donating. You will be remembering Anam Cara's work with bereaved parents all over Ireland and to get involved you can check out their website www.anamcara.org i.e. Choir practice in Donnerail's Presentation Pastoral Centre goes ahead on Wednesday and a particular shout out for new members. And Nazareth House will hold their lotto draw on Thursday 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Nazareth House. Jackpot this week is valued at €10,000. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hymn on C103. And it, where's that text? Oh, Siobhan. Uh, Siobhan and Inchigili in McCroom says, Trish, enjoying your programme. Thank you for that. Where can I get a copy of Earth Angel? That poem, the tribute to Tina Satchel. Is it in Olive Corcoran's uh, poetry book? Uh, it is. And I tell you what, I have a copy of the poetry book and I've already, so these small little poetry book is already, I've already read. So I've asked Barney to pop it in the post and I'll send it on to you. And it's the first poem in the book called Earth Angel. So uh, enjoy it. And thank you, Siobhan. Wishing us all a happy Christmas and uh, happy Christmas. Many happy returns uh, to you. Uh, as well. Okay, on scams. Tess says, hi Patricia, on scams. I got a phone call about a half an hour ago about Revolut card. I hung up straight away. Guess why? I don't have a Revolut card. Yeah, but you see they're banking on I think there's about a million or more people in this country have a Revolut card. So they're banking on when they randomly generate numbers they're banking on contacting a number of people who will have a Revolut card. So uh, well done. And Pat in Bantry on the burning of the hotel in Galway. Uh, Pat says, Hi Patricia, the burning of the hotel reminds me of the movies in the 70s about vampires where the village people would attack and burn down the castle where the vampires were. Of course the vampire movies were a reflection of racism in in society at the time so nothing changes says Pat in Bantry. 0818103103 Keep your questions coming for Annalise Drissel please. Uh, People will be happy to hear with the cost of living crisis that a supermarket food war looks set to 
to benefit those that are struggling in the lead up to Christmas. Prices on the seasonal dinner ingredients, things like the turkey, the ham and a huge array of vegetables, all of the trimmings have all been cut by many of the larger supermarket chains and obviously they're doing it because they're trying to entice people into the door, particularly in the final few days, the run up to Christmas. Dunn stores, Aldi, Super Value, Tesco, Lidl, all advertising vegetables, things like your sprouts and your carrots and your onions and your parsnips. They're, I think they're all about 49 cent uh, a bag. But prices for the turkey and ham are also being reduced. For example, Dunn's are offering a 20% discount on 4kg Irish hams. They're down from 25 to 20. Aldi is offering fresh turkeys from €9 each. They're also dropping their smoked salmon from €8 to €5. From Wednesday, Lidl will be selling 3kg fresh turkeys from €9 and an 8kg bird is that pretty big 8 kgs that'll be sell, that'll be on sale for 35 uh, euro Tesco say it's Christmas dinner offering means you could have a family or a group of five people they reckon if you shop in Tesco you could have a Christmas dinner with all the trimmings for just over 26 euro they're also selling an Irish turkey for 9 uh, euro and hams for uh, 8 and if you've got one of their club card uh, one of the Tesco club cards you can make uh, other savings as well and Damien O'Reilly is a senior lecturer in marketing and management at the School of Retail in the Technology University in Dublin he said people will be enticed into the store particularly he says because of the 49 cent sprouts he said the expectation is there with consumers around discounted food at Christmas the discounters do this well he said they make an effort to discount traditional of vegetables that we know we're all going to have to go out and buy and then they create value you think oh my god Brussels sprouts for 49 cents where would you be getting them but what he says you need to remember is if carrots and the sprouts are discounted the possibility are about another 2,000 other items in that same store they won't be discounted but he said the retailers pick the ones that are current they know the ones that are seasonal and get gives the perception in the mind of the consumer that everything is at a low price. They basically sell it as a loss leader. They'll make no profit on that, but they're not banking on you only going in and picking up a net of Brussels sprouts for 49 cents. But Damien O'Reilly, this uh, senior lecturer, says consumers are becoming much more savvy. He says people are checking out the apps and the offers. He said people will look at where they're going to buy their turkey and their ham, as well as looking at all of the different promotions. But he said consumers are remaining cautious because of the cost of living. So this year, more than any other year, year, it's value and premium that people are looking for and that people are not sort of doing the once upon a time you do your traditional shop, you do it all in one store. People are mooching around and they're seeing wherever the best offers are. But I always kind of worry when I see the vegetables at rock bottom prices because I think one of the stores, are do- the pineapples are back. I think, did I see one of the stores offering the pineapples for 49 uh, cent? And... Uh, and and I remember after one Christmas when they started this it was the melons and the pineapples again and I remember speaking to a guy who was collecting our bins at the time and he said that the food bins were just full of pineapples and watermelons that never got used just because they're cheap people are going in and buying them so please only buy them if you know you are going to use them because you always worry about whoever is producing there's no way that vegetables can be produced I mean there's no way for example that a pineapple can be produced for 49 cent and get from whatever country it's grown in 
onto our, our shelves. You know, somewhere along, along the line, somebody is losing out. Now, the Irish Farmers Organisation they recently reminded retailers of their responsibility to pay a, vi- a viable price to the producers and they're critical of these price wars and their uh, effect on producers. Obviously the consumer is happy to see the prices are coming down but what is the effect on the producers? The, the IFA say the price wars are inherently damaging to growers. It, they destabilise demand for their produce and they create the impression that costs of products are lower than they actually are. The number of fruit and vegetable growers unfortunately in this country has declined for the past 20 years and a lot of that is due to the margin pressures which has been exerted on growers from the top of the food tray. Now overall, grocery price inflation continues to fall. It's the lowest now in more more than a year, but it still is high. I mean, inflation is still is 8.6%, uh, but it's the lowest. It's been falling for the last uh, three uh, months. Prices are now back to the levels they were at in August of 2022. And that's Kandar who carry out uh, the research every month. They show the price of Brussels sprouts and Christmas puddings are down. Brussels sprouts are down by 0.6%. But Christmas puds, you're doing well on the Christmas puds this year. They're down by 22%. But they say overall the Christmas dinner is up by just over 3% based on last year. And this Christmas is expected to be a bumper one for supermarkets. Data is already showing that grocery sales are set to surpass, wait for this, 1.4 billion for the first time this month. That's on grocery shopping. And we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. There was a survey out about it. The, the day before Christmas Eve, December the 23rd, and it's a Saturday this year, that's expected to be the big, big, the busiest grocery shopping day of the year. And last year, on that day alone, there was 96 million euro went through the tills in all of our major supermarkets and grocery stores and they are reckoning judging on the sales so far this year that that figure is even going to be uh, topped. So if you can at all possible avoid December the 23rd for going out to do your shopping because it's going to be a very very busy day. 0818 103 103 and we're going to the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic where Annalise Drussell uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you Annalise. Good afternoon Patricia. Did you shake off the cough? But still a bit have it. I, yeah. I'm not expecting it to kind of go fully, judging by everybody else, it seems to linger for four or five weeks at least. Yeah, because we had Dr. John Sheehan, the GP in Blackpool on the programme last week and he was talking about it and he said, yeah, good month to six weeks people are being left with it. It's just, yeah. it's, 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 it's a nasty one for sure. Okay, straight into a question, somebody getting over COVID. Hi, my mum who's in her early 90s, just getting over COVID. Uh, Janet says, I want to give her a tonic. What tonic would you recommend for a 92 year old? So the source of life gold is always a tonic I recommend. However, there is a little bit of ginseng in it and that would not be suitable for somebody who would be on a blood pressure medication. So if your mum is on a blood pressure medication that's not good. Uh, That won't work. So in that case I'm recommending one called uh, it's called Vibracell V-I-B-R-A-C-E-L-L and it's by a company I think called New Era and we've, we got very good feedback on that recently when we um, the Source of Life Gold wasn't available for a long time. So we had a lot of customers trying it. And that is suitable with all medications. 
So if, if the other source of life would be my first choice, secondly, Vibrastal. Okay, and a child getting over a COVID is, is very, ti- very tired. It's a five-year-old. What would you recommend? So there's two things that could work here. Um, now, the, the um, company that make the source of life gold, they actually do uh, vitamins for kids as well. They have got it in a liquid form. It's also called the Go. It's, it's Animal Parade is the name of it. The company is Nature's Plus. And it's, it's their gold tonic. So that would be a very good tonic for a kid. But also, we've been getting fantastic feedback on a kind of a mushroom extract complex for immune system. Um, we started stocking it again recently. It was reformulated. And the feedback on it is amazing. So it's by a company called Hifas Deterra, H-I-F-E-S, um, Deterra, D-E-T-E-R-R-A. They're a Spanish company and they specialize in mushroom extracts which are amazing for the immune system. So you want the immune blend for kids and that's a fantastic immune booster. And is there an adult one as well, obviously? Um, there is adult mushrooms. They come more in uh, in a, a capsule. This kid's one is fantastic. It's in a juice and it doesn't taste of mushrooms. So okay. it's very easy for them to take. Yeah, it's hard to get to, uh, kids to swallow anything. Okay, Carmel says, I wonder, could you ask, what would Annalise recommend something to decrease a high ESR blood rate result in an elderly woman. Now, ESR measures the rate at which the red blood cells separate from the plasma and fall to the bottom of a test tube. Yeah, you know what now? I don't know the answer to that one. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I wonder is there something to do with it's inflammation. You know, I'll yeah. have to look that one yeah, up. It's, it it does seem to be to do with uh, inflammation and it's red uh, blood cells and it's to do with inflammation in the blood. Yeah, I honestly... Inflammation yeah, I, in, your, in your body, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean, generally the natural anti-inflammatories that are wonderful for uh, anti anything anti-inflammatory are things like turmeric and um, boswellia would be my two favourite. I was reading an article this morning about one called astaxanthin which is also wonderful for preventing macular degeneration, but it seems to be incredibly beneficial as an anti-ager and an anti-inflammatory in the body. Um, but really, I wouldn't be confident saying that that was the right thing for, for high ESR levels, so I'll have to come back to you on okay. that one. All right, please do. Uh, any advice, please, for somebody getting ocular migraines? Ocular migraines. So migraines are always a very difficult one, Patricia, because um, it's really about for people identifying triggers. And there's lots of people actually developed um, type, different types of migraines after COVID as well. So there's, it's very, very difficult to understand what triggers migraines. I mean, it's definitely a sort of a, something that affects the brain chemistry and then you get these type of migraines. So it could be a structural issue where there's a nerve trapped. It could be a viral issue post-COVID. A lot of people were getting vestibular migraines, which was more about kind of... Um, really being dizzy and, um, you know, feeling feeling um, black spots in front of the eyes. That was very common post-COVID. For other people, typical triggers would be things like chocolate is a very big one, caffeine is another one, stress is another one, posture is another one. And for some people, they find that prevention is really the way to go. And taking magnesium would be very good. I think I would recommend magnesium taurate as the best type of magnesium for migraines. 
And then also a very high dose of a vitamin B2, which is riboflavin. And you're going to need 400 milligrams of that every day as a preventative. Yeah, I was listening to Joe Duffy a few weeks ago on Liveland did a programme on uh, migraines. And my God almighty, some of the people talking about how debilitating, like very severe migraines uh, can be. I mean, it was just uh, shocking. And one of the ones that actually somebody earlier on uh, sent in a message uh, about it for people with epilepsy. Show the twinkling lights uh, for Christmas. That for people who are, are sensitive to, to those lights, they can bring on migraines. Absolutely, I would believe it. And um, actually, just speaking of epilepsy, and I suppose really maybe this could be something that could help with migraines that were triggered by things like that. Um, cannabis oil is wonderful, Patricia. Um, as we probably remember from, there was the big fight that uh, a mother down in Kerry had to fight very hard to get it for her daughter. So cannabis can massive, the cannabis oil can massively cut down on the... <coughs> excuse me, duration and um, the the frequency of seizures. So it's possible it could be something that could work very well for migraines. Again, there's such a personalised thing that you'd have to try it to see. And it would be about not treating them with cannabis oil. It would be about taking the cannabis oil every single day as a preventative. And I've seen wonderful results with that CBD oil. Now, this is the one without... The, the bit that gets you stoned, the THC. Yeah. And I've seen fantastic, um, I've had fantastic feedback on it, not just for epilepsy, but for some people with Parkinson's as well. It very much helps with the tremor. Um, it's some people that get a wonderful result for pain from it as well. So that would be definitely worth a try for ocular migraine as well. Okay, all right. Um, Rose in Cork has a pain in her shoulder. Now, the doctor says it could be frozen shoulder. She's wondering, could you recommend anything for the pain? Rose has a fear of enclosed spaces, so she can't go for a scan to confirm if it is a frozen shoulder. Yeah, well, you know what? So even if they confirm it, there's not a whole pile they're going to do for it anyway, Patricia. Um, frozen shoulder, actually, I think, is what happens there is you get massive inflammation um, in, in the tendons um, around the socket of the arm. So the big thing would be that you'd find it very hard to raise it. And my own experience with um, frozen shoulder, and I've seen lots of people with it, is that it's really time and rest. Now, there you could try a couple of natural remedies to see what they help, but sometimes actually going to see a chiropractor that can kind of manipulate it so that there maybe isn't uh, stress and pressure on the nerves and on the tendons um, and maybe even getting a cortisol, a cortisone injection from your doctor might give you some relief as well. Uh, but there is no perfect method. So the natural things you could try, um, Rotagrav is a homeopathic remedy. It's, you know what now, in terms of its efficacy, I'd say it's like one in four people will get a great benefit from it and the other three and four probably won't. But it can work very well. It's spelled R-U-T-A. G-R-A-V, Ruttergrav, um, and that's for tendonitis. So you could try that. And then things like um, high-strength turmeric extract and Boswellia. So we have a supplement here called Curcudine Forte, uh, C-U-R-C-U-D-Y-N Forte, and it's a combination of both of those. And that's a very good natural anti-inflammatory. And then personally, what I would find helpful is rubbing something in that kind of heats up and gives a bit of... Um, Immediate relief, which is the Perniton gel. It's wonderful. You need to get the hot one, the red one. And there's a cooling one and a, and a hot one. So get the Perniton, P-E-R-N-A-T-O-N gel um, in the red color and rub that on morning and evening. And maybe a bit of acupuncture. 
you'll have to throw everything out. Yeah, and hopefully yeah. something will Because it can be very painful. Mary's in Clon. She's on four different tablets. She's on Caltrate, Regist Rice, Glucosamine and Silica. So when is the best time of the day to take them and can she take them all together? She possibly could, really. I find that taking um, a lot of tablets at the same time might make people feel a bit nauseous. So in that case, I would definitely, if you want to take them all together, I'd recommend them taking them after either lunch or dinner. Make sure you have something in your stomach first. Um, the calcium as well, you probably should take that. Definitely don't take them at night because really you won't be, your digestive system won't be as uh, possibly as efficient in terms of absorbing. So I would either take them um, separately, the calcium one in the morning, or if you're going to take them all together, take them after a bigger lunch. Okay, what would you, Annelise, is there anything you could recommend for a flare-up of gallbladder? Um, Trish is from Trish in Cork. She had bacon and cabbage the other day and it has caused a flare-up and she's been in agony since. God love her, yeah. And there's actually, it's like kidney stones as well. The pain can be excruciating and the nausea actually as well because anything you eat then seems to irritate you. So I would recommend a product by a company called BioNutri. Now, it might be difficult to get because it's a practitioner product but they do one called Taracin, T-A-R-A-C-Y-N. And it's a combination of things to um, support, uh, to bring inflammation down in the gallbladder and to support the production of bile, which will help flush the gallbladder. And I also would recommend something to help you digest fat in the meantime, because if your gallbladder now is inflamed, you're not going to be producing all of the things that you need to break fat down. And that's what's going to give you the indigestion and make you feel so nauseous. So my favorite one for that is a company called BioCare. Not that the first one is BioNutri. It's BioCare and it's called Artichoke and Lipase Complex. So that's Artichoke like the vegetable and Lipase, L-I-P-A-S-E Complex. Okay, and very finally, what would you recommend for somebody who suffers uh, from cysts on the eyelid and styes? It's my husband gets them regularly, says a listener. I really don't know about that one, Patricia. It's so, it's it, like some people, the Dr. Dealish Care healing cream can work really well for some people and then for other people it doesn't work at all. I've had not quite styes. They're not really styes that are, are um, they're like a little skin tag. And I've been using a cream called Liposalve that seems to have reduced the size of the little tag on my eye. So if it's more of a tag, that Liposalve could work. Actually, just now I had a think, think about that. And castor oil could be very good because I've, like it's, I've been doing a good bit of research about it. And um, castor oil used to be traditionally used to draw pus out. It used to be used as um, like with mustard as a pack to take pus out of abscesses. So if this is like a sty, if it's filled with pus, something that will draw that pus out. So you could try castor oil. I'd actually probably put it onto a, um, a, a cloth of some sort, like a very thin muslin cloth, and I'd place it on the eye, and then I'd put a warm hot water bottle on top of it and see can it to just draw it, draw out. it out. Okay, listen, we leave it there uh, as always. Uh, thank you for that. It's, our, la- it's our last one for the year. Thanks for all your contribution. Christmas. Happy Christmas to you and we look forward to chatting in 2024. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks a million. That's Annalise Drissel, the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. She'll put up all of the information that she just gave on her website this afternoon, healthhubstore.com. Uh, hi, Patricia. I would love to know when you're talking about the low-cost veg, who will take the hit for the lower prices? It definitely won't be the supermarket. It'll be the farmer, says uh, 
uh, James and a listener says would you give a quick shout out to the people at the farm at uh, Grenna we were there uh, yesterday to see Santa absolutely loved it Court today that's right leave you have to talk to you tomorrow flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.